Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast, where we aim to shed light on the significance of innovation in life sciences, the people, the challenges, and success stories, all while educating, inspiring, and empowering professionals. And today I have as my guest, Marnie Smith, Senior Director, Quality at Network Partners. Great to have you here today, Marnie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be a guest today. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Marnie leads the quality team and brings to network partners over 15 years of medical device experience. Marnie has experience in sustaining design, project management, supplier quality, quality management systems, CAPA, audit management, design controls, complaints handling, recalls, and manufacturing impacts on quality in a variety of class two electromechanical devices. Marnie's extensive background provides support and leadership to network partners and their clients. So Marnie, you know, one of the things that I love to talk to people about is, you know, what is it about life sciences um, that really has the most impact on you and, 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 and how you, you know, how you go to work every day? Absolutely. Well, to answer that, we have to go back to the beginning. Um, and you have to understand a little bit about why I landed in medical devices today. So when I was younger, I always thought I wanted to be a doctor. I was really skilled in math, really skilled in science, straight A student sort of situation. And in high school, I had this amazing opportunity to do this local program through a hospital where we were exposed to different areas within medicine. So it was like we learned about oncology. We learned about gynecology, things like that. And I was hanging in there doing okay, realizing, you know, the blood of other people didn't love, but I'll get past it. I'll get past it. We had a session where we talked uh, with doctors and clinicians where they had to share what it was like to tell people's families that their loved one had died. And that really was a game-changing moment of realizing, oh, wait, like this isn't just a bucket in a work staying in a lane using my math and science background. There's an emotional impact that I knew I wasn't going to be able to handle. So kind of reassessed at that point in time, uh, tried to figure out what am I going to do? Because this is like, you know, when you're in 11th grade in high school, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's everything in my life. It's all falling apart. Uh, and I realized I could build off of my skills in math and science and go into engineering. Now, at that point in time, I still didn't really know what engineering was. I grew up in the Detroit area. Uh, so huge automotive impact, of mm -hmm. course. And I didn't want to do cars. But I figured, you know, at least I have a starting point. So started within mechanical engineering, went to Purdue University, and as things unfolded, I knew, well, I can still do this and can still potentially get to medical devices if that's where I want to go. Let's just learn about this engineering thing and see where life goes. And that's exactly what happened. So when I was at Purdue, I did a co-op program, it was still kind of automotive facing. It was with a company called GE Plastics before they were bought by Sabix. Got really involved in plastics. Uh, I start, my first role after college was in sales, funny enough, because uh, I thought I was going to burn out from engineering. And I learned, you know what? Nope, still really like engineering, but I can talk <laughs> and I can communicate, kind of a rare treat for an engineer, so to speak. Uh, but because I had worked at GE Plastics and I had a life event that caused me to relocate, uh, the door opened in a beautiful way with GE Healthcare's maternal infant care business. And that is where my med device career started, allowing me to build off the mechanical engineering background, allowing me to use the plastics knowledge I had just had, and really unfolded this beautiful journey uh, that I've been on and continue to be on, I'm sure, for many years to come. That is awesome. So it sounds like, um, you know, the way if you were to look backwards kind of at where you are today and take a look at that path, 
it doesn't sound like that straight line path that I think a lot of people envision. Like you said, I'm in high school. I know I'm going to be this and I'm going to spend my life doing this for the rest of my life. Um, maybe we could talk a little more about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's this unspoken pressure when you are a child, right? And you're going through this whole aspect where everything in your life is curated for you. You have to go to elementary school, you go to middle school, you go to high school, you go to college, and every year it's spelled out. You have to do this, and here's your course curriculum, and here's this, and here's this. You reach adulthood, and you reach this point of, oh, shoot, now what, right? Everything kind of, they pull the blanket out from under you. You have a job, but now it's maybe not as crisp as it was with getting the curriculum and the and all the details of what you need to learn and what this test is going to be. And you have one hour to do it. And by the way, I still have anxiety dreams about all of that because, of course, <laughs> none of that leaves. Um, but you you figure out your way, like as all things, right? You know, I mentioned that, you know, my degree is in mechanical engineering. That's still a pretty big, vague bucket, right? There's so many things within that spectrum. Medical devices is a small slice of it. And even starting that pathway, I thought it meant design, right? There seems to be this mm. linkage between mm. that and design. Um, and that's where I started from a sustaining standpoint. But this quality piece of it of where I've really built the, the heart of my career on now at this point is not anything that would have piped up within that spectrum. Um, but much like people start in one life and then create a new life and new path within that, I kind of naturally progressed into it and landed in quality, which feels like, by the way, most of the people I've spoken with who have a, of a, a career in quality, we land here by accident uh, and find our passion for it, you know, for improving patient outcomes. And that is, I think you pretty much summed it up right there. That is the whole mission, I think, of Absolutely. quality and and ensuring that quality products make it to the patient. Um, and I, I don't think you can say that enough, you know, the good work that they do. Um, and it's it's a department that maybe isn't always um, viewed as as mission critical, but it it, it most certainly is. Um, Absolutely. So I was going to pipe up because I want to let you know one of my favorite taglines with quality. If it's going well, it's quiet. <laughs> There's nothing going on with quality. It's going well. It's seamless. The second something's wrong. It's quality's fault. That's absolutely the nature of the role to some extent. There's, there's no love there. There is love there. But that's what it can feel like for sure with teams that are impacted at the at the various yeah. sites. Yeah, I, I that's a great that's a great way to summarize it. So in your role now, um, you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about network partners and, and what makes them stand out. Absolutely. I would love to. So Network Partners is a professional services company. So we do consulting with a variety of very large medical device companies. Uh, we also have a sister business that's in the pharmaceutical space as well. But my role in that, I'm the senior director of quality. I'm accountable for growing the quality arm of the business. Network Partners has uh, services that started within packaging. I always love to use the Marvel uh, example of our origin story is within packaging engineering. We've had crazy, wonderful amount of success with packaging. And as as time has unfolds, unfolded since 2015, we've expanded into project management, 
labeling, regulatory, quality. Uh, so I'm the new gal in town. Business has been around for about a year and a half, two years with respect to just quality centric work. And my role is really to try to establish more relationships with clients who might be open to using some of our services. How I landed here is this is my first foray into professional services after all of these times I've spent at various medical device manufacturing sites. So I've worked at GE Healthcare, I've worked at acquisitions of Medtronic. So really kind of a broad experience of teeny tiny startups and what life is like being acquired being acquired, larger acquisitions, how do you see that into other QMSs, things like that. It feels like when you're at a site, like, gosh, we are the only one who's experiencing this pain. Being able to go to network partners, build off of my background and quality, really being able to talk shop with other folks that are in the shoes I just left has made me realize, A, we all are going through the same struggles, right? It seems like it would be pretty clear cut with the regulations and standards, but everyone's figuring it out a different way. And two, there's so much we can learn from each other. It's really about finding best practices and more intentional solutions instead of trying to Rube Goldberg eyes quality systems. Are you familiar with Rube Goldberg? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're one. laughing. So you probably have a little read on to what I mean by that. <laughs> that is that is definitely a good one. <laughs> so I'll, I'll expand on it a little bit for anyone who may not be familiar. Rube Goldberg is a famous engineer. It started with a cartoon kind of strip, comic strip. And what he is famous for doing, and now there's all these great competitions worldwide for it, is taking a really simple task and overcomplicating it. And one of the things I saw when I started in my quality career is that some quality systems become just like that. It takes something simple and we slap the fix of this finding and this finding, and this finding and no questions. We just have to do it. And all of a sudden we've got this overcomplicated system that really doesn't need to be that complicated. It's, a, it's such a, I just have such a great image of it. <laughs> <laughs> Strings and toasters. And oh, everything. <laughs> it's it's going to be great. I just, it's so funny. So I think that one of the things that the industry is really gaining a lot of optimization, acceleration, you know, whatever you want to call it, transformation, um, of course, is just this entire initiative of digital transformation. Um, and I'm going to call it across all the 4.0s. So that would be industry 4.0, pharma 4.0, bio 4.0, med device 4, you know, factory 4.0. It, it's all this digital uh, transformation. And there's real impact. And it's really creating some what I'm going to call transformational outcomes. Um, and it's a space uh, that I also operate in. And I'm fascinated every day by what people are doing and, and the things that are occurring. Uh, and I would say that um, quality may not necessarily be the place that people think that it's occurring, but it is. And I think one of the things that's occurring in the industry that um, is probably starting to be a bit of a challenge for those folks who never really thought about it is this um, pervasiveness of computer applications, be they off the shelf, be they small applications or bespoke, gigantic, enterprise-wide applications. Um, and it's really becoming across the product lifecycle. Um, and now... Uh, moving from, say, office operations and finance into areas of GXP compliance. And this is where validation comes into play. Yeah. Um, and it's and they're shifting to the cloud or they're wanting to shift to the cloud. Um, 
And that means that someone's going to have to validate those applications. And for SAS applications, they update multiple times a year, which means now organizations are finding that they need to do a validation exercise or just an assessment two to three times a year and sometimes four times a year. And then if you talk about the integrations across those applications, it can become something quite um, looming, if we should think of a word. And I just wonder what you're hearing. Are they thinking about it? Are they ready for it? Is it overwhelming? Like, what's your perspective? Yeah, that's a great question and something I ponder a lot. Uh, as well, having been in the heat of a manufacturing site and feeling the pain of, oh my gosh, why isn't this more automated, this thing that should make a ton of logical sense, Um, as well as understanding when you're in the quality department and you're bound by the framework of regulations and standards that sometimes it doesn't feel like there's as much wiggle room to try to be able to move industry as far forward as industry is going, right? So, the impacts from a digitization standpoint when it comes to quality systems, especially there, I'm not sure for anyone who's as familiar with the, the quality system regulation, but you know, there's many companies that are using electronic quality management system tools, right? And that's what is the foundation for some of the quality system engine. If we're talking about change control, audits, CAPA, some of those things that don't sound as flashy or as fun, uh, but definitely <laughs> something you need to have in an effective uh, medical device manufacturing company. But then there's also, you know, plugins for that and software as a medical device. So this whole space is kind of built on a linear approach of how regulations have come to be. I'll use FDA as an example, and I don't wanna throw FDA under the bus because they're doing a lot of hard work to try to bring everything forward. But if you look at the history of how the quality system regulation or the QSRs came to be, it all really started on GMPs, which I think our pharma friends are even more familiar with, but that's good manufacturing practices. And that brings a mindset of quality as being kind of in-process quality, a little bit more reactive quality as as opposed to trying to being more forward-thinking with it. From a med device standpoint, uh, the QSRs came into place with 21 part CFR uh, 820. So 820 is the quality system regulation for medical devices. That's where it kind of builds off of all those GMPs and brings them to a next level that allows a little bit more for some of the forward-thinking stuff, including activities like you were talking about with validation and things like that. Now, is re- it feels regimented. It feels really detailed. There's a lot of words, a lot of linear kind of steps in there. If you think about things like the design control waterfall, you know, walks you through from user input, uh, user needs, design inputs, design outputs, verification, validation, final product, some of the design review pieces. It feels like I cannot pass go until I do steps one and two. Anyone who's right. well versed with software knows that's not how it is. Think about agile methodologies and just, you know, dealing with your little snapshots of a problem. It makes it really challenging when you're trying to work within a regulated space. It's kind of got this foundation of linear thinking to use software and digitization, which is nowhere near linear. It's pretty much a blob. (laughs) And I mean that with love. Mechanical (laughs) engineer trying to describe software. It's still new to me, but I can just express enough that it's challenging to try to force a certain style of thinking through something that's not built for it. So you can see the signals that um, the regulators and the industry are trying to move it forward. It's hard to change regulations. I mean, if you look at EUMDR, that's taken many, many years. We could have like five more podcast interviews talking about (laughs) EUMDR. We might have to. (laughs) But even FDA, 
We'll use an example with they're they're they've announced publicly that they're going to move Q, they're moving with the QSR away from what was traditionally their QSIT model and they're going to be moving into adopting some of the verbiage and spirit intent of ISO 1345, which is wonderful. They've kind of in, they've kind of dangled that carrot for years. It's been coming for years and they're finally going to start it. It's still going to be a couple more years. Think of how far software has come in the last five years of something like that. And now think of how much more we have to do from a guidance standpoint, from a regulation standpoint to allow us to really catch up. So I think the desire is there if you talk to, especially if you talk to the engineering departments, R&D, marketing, they want, they want the Tesla of a medical device where I can push out a software update tonight and everything's working beautifully. They want the businesses want solutions that are easy to test and and easy to roll out updates for. The challenge is how do we work within this system that's got some really firm boundaries? How do you work in that? How do you flex in that to allow that to work and make sure whatever we're doing is delivering safe product to pa safe products to patients, which is the ultimate goal. Right. Um, and it's it it's challenging. And I think to your point about the evolution. I think in some cases, um, and this might tie in the whole nonlinear career paths and how do people end up from one industry into another industry, you know, there's probably more software now embedded in more products and processes, including code, artificial intelligence. Um, and, and really, um, I guess the question is, who now are, are going to be in charge of this? There's the traditional IT-owned software and engineering-owned equipment facilities and manufacturing, but I think now it could be a little bit of a transformation into both the skills, maybe a gap in the people, or 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 maybe a change in in who's required to kind of um, to to work on this within organizations and also, you know, externally, you know, because um, there's good partnerships that can be had in this space where companies don't have to do it all. You know, there's never been the statement that um, a medical device company should be the best at IT. They should be the best at making medical devices and leverage those services that can help them in that space. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, that leads to one of my next favorite taglines for quality, which is the answer is it depends. <laughs> Um, so it does depend a little bit with how the sites have decided they want to divide and conquer those roles and opportunities. Like you, I think you mentioned this already, you know, originally it a lot of that was owned by engineering and then sometimes that's moved to IT. I think the space that needs continued development, we've got a lot of great foundations within software quality. And I think software quality impacts that in those two areas. One is with respect to applications that support the manufacturing of product, which is our EQMS solutions, which is ERP, all of those things, how those plug in together, as well as software as a medical device. We need those design focused, quality-based engineers that can help with that. But the challenge of the space that I have found is that there's a lot of brilliant software engineers and a lot of brilliant quality engineers, but it's rare that that really overlaps. That is such a hard thing to hire into. So I think that's where the opportunity is, is being able to flesh out and grow that talent from a software quality engineer standpoint within the med device space. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I think that we'll get there. I think there's a lot of, I guess, um, 
to your point about people moving from one uh, either industry or experience. Um, in some cases, you might say manufacturing is manufacturing, and some manufacturers have moved pretty far ahead. You you mentioned like Tesla, that would be the ideal thing, right? Yeah. Um, update my iPhone and I've got a brand new device. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that um, people are definitely, definitely thinking about it. So I want to just ask you, you know, if, if you were um, going to think a little bit more about you and some fun questions. So just talk a little bit about, you know, what does Marnie do uh, in her spare time, you know, for <laughs> just to not think quality. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I feel like it's an undertone to life, but uh, yeah, it's a great question. So a couple of things. So one is I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my beautiful family. I've got four kids. So in the thick of all of the, you know, the kid mm. activities, they're between the ages of six and 16. So mm. lots of stuff going on there. So getting a chance to meet, you know, different people in a different aspect when you're thinking about going to marching band competitions and the color guard and <laughs> piano lessons and all those sorts of things. The okay. mindset of being able to um, optimize your life is very prevalent there, right? You can use that tool <laughs> with the parenting students. That's an excellent term. <laughs> yes. Uh, but for me, what really brings me a lot of joy, um, I really like moving. So I love running. Um, and right now I've gotten into CrossFit in the last year. Totally suck at both. But exercise, <laughs> movement, it's the best medicine and also the best way I can think about stuff, right? Sometimes totally some of my agree. greatest ideas have come out during a long run when I'm torturing myself, you know, running 15 miles, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But really you're thinking a- about something else. You're, you're just totally out there. I think that's awesome. I love that. It, yeah. And I agree with you. You're, you're moving, you're doing something, you know yes. what I mean? But you're yeah. doing it for you, which is awesome. That's amazing. Exactly. That's, that's great. Exactly. So listen, if we're talking about these kinds of things, if you weren't doing what you do today, as far as your work would be described, what, what would you be doing? You know, what do you think that you might do otherwise? That's such a tough question. I think there's two alternative paths I might've considered. Um, So one, my, I grew up in a single parent home and my mom was a teacher. So a lot of those, those tenants and the abilities of being able to teach and instruct were very much ingrained. So I think I, I would have pursued maybe a, a, career path in academia and wanting to be a professor, because I think that would have been a lot of fun to try to teach mm-hmm. some of the hard technical stuff and get it in a way, you know, to help plant the seeds in the future of tomorrow. The other aspect, though, you know, building off of the liking to move, physical therapy. I didn't mm. know much about physical therapy until I injured myself and started seeing a physical therapist. And it was yeah. just kind of brilliant now you've got this group of people that are really applying like in person and with using their hands like all oh, the anatomy and just realizing how all those things interconnect that's the inner mechanical engineer in me as well like my body feels like a structural foundation but realizing there's ways that they will move together in a way that improves someone's life just by being able to move and feel better that really resonates with me too i just didn't know about it at that time so too They're it's like, never too it's- late but it's no, probably too late. That's, and they're like <laughs> physical engineers, you know? Yes. They kind of are. They know they all are. about mechanics and movement, and you can do better if you do it this way. Yes. For some reason, it seems as humans, we don't do it the most efficient way. We like to, no. <laughs> we like to we do it the hard the way, right? All day recording podcasts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are so right. Let me stand up. No. <laughs> um, 
but I think to your point, um, you know, it, it's important to to kind of get up and move around. But again, you can see whenever I talk to people, I can always see like that part of their person, the way that they think you can definitely see like that would totally be a fit. Right. It's not quite the device, but it's kind of the body as a device. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As long as I don't have to see blood. Let me, there you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Marnie, listen, I just want to say thank you so much. What a great conversation today. Um, a lot of fun and some good giggles as we were talking today. I um, am really, really excited uh, to hear where you go and follow you to see what you do next. And I'm very much looking forward to reconnecting with you sometime in the near future. Absolutely. And thank you. This was so much fun. And it was fun yeah. getting to know you and being able to share a little of my background and what I've learned along the way. So great. So great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of LifeSphere, where we talk with leaders in the life science industry about what inspires them and how we all can work together because the patient is waiting. Please find us on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.